Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thank you for listening. We've got a big show. Going to kick things off this week with a conversation I had with John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated, where we talk about our former colleague, Grant Wall, and the shocking and tragic passing of Grant last Friday. John's been with SI as long as anyone uh, worked closely with Grant. So uh, we share some memories and talk about Grant Wall with John Wertheim. Following John Wertheim, Greg Olson, lead analyst for NFL on Fox, joins the podcast for a fun interview. And then train of thoughts with Sal Akata to wrap it all up. Before we get to it, quickly, if you've missed any recent episodes, check them out in the archives. Richard Deitch from The Athletic was on last week. Mike Tirico, two weeks ago. Kevin Burkhart, three weeks ago. Joe Buck, four weeks ago. Go into the archives, check them out. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe to the SI Media Podcast, rate and review. We'll read a review. If you leave a review on Apple, we'll read it on the podcast uh, in the coming weeks. All right, big show, let's get to it. John Wertheim on Grant Wall, followed by Greg Olson from Fox, followed by Train of Thoughts, all right here on the SI Media Podcast. All right, joining me now, senior writer, but his title is much deeper than that. Uh, for Sports Illustrated, also with 60 Minutes, a SI legend, John Wertheim, couldn't think of a better person to come on as we try to pay tribute here in some little way to our former colleague, Grant Wall. John, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. No, thanks for doing a, a segment on Grant, Jimmy. Had to be done. Uh, you know, he was at SI for so long. One of the, you know, it's for people listening, I think it's so different for you and I than people listening because we've both been at SI for so long and there's so few of us left 
from sort of that era, quote unquote. And Grant was one of those people who was there for so long, like you and I. Um, so, you know, there's no way I couldn't do something here. You wrote a great piece for SI that everyone should check out about Grant. You know, right off the top, just initial thoughts on the kind of person Grant was, what it was like to work with him and your relationship with him. You know, I was struck by what you just said. You said, you know, he, he was at, uh, he was at SI for all those years. And that, uh, that, that little preposition does a lot of work. He was really at SI. He didn't just work for the magazine and see his name pop up. He was a presence. I mean, you know, this, you'd, you'd walk down the hall and there was Grant and you'd lock up your city bike and Grant was right behind you to go to work for the day. He really had a presence and when, when we had offices, his door was open. And when he worked at a cubicle, it was fine. He was Grant Wall Titan of, of soccer. And it didn't matter if he was sitting next to the intern that day. He would still do his thing. Um, it's, it's really hard. It's sort of post-COVID and the state of sports media. It's, it's really hard, I think, to sort of talk about his impact on the culture of Sports Illustrated and, you know, be, being a, a collegial co-worker. He and I started, somebody thought we started the same day. I don't know about that, but we started right around the same time in the late 90s and we were, we shared an office. We were friends immediately. We had a very similar background and I think we were very different kinds of writers, but I think our sort of goals and aspirations were pretty much the same. Um, he was obviously had this one sport that he was fixated on covering and uh, did it at an unrivaled, unparalleled level. I, I've been saying, if, it, if we're up to Grant, he would have been the full-time soccer writer the day he walked in the door. It's not as though he had this, this genius idea in 2010 to be full-time soccer. I mean, I think he had to negotiate for that. He would have done that right away. But, um, I mean, you you know, you, you know this every, every bit as much as I do. He was just the, he, he wasn't just a coworker. He was a teammate. It sounds it's very easy to lapse into cliche when we when we talk about him, but he really did want everyone to succeed. And in a weird way, he was sort of I think he was he was much more competitive with himself. He held himself to very high standards. Um, he was not competitive as a colleague. He, he and I collaborated on a number of pieces and even working alongside him. It was a pleasure. You know, you you write this paragraph. I'll do this one. Um, and we we're very friendly socially, but I think we were also sort of very friendly as, as colleagues. And it's just, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I, I can't believe we're having this conversation. I mean, it's just, oh, again, I, they talk about cliches, like every cliche, it's, it's surreal. It's a mix of you're, you're heartbroken, you're shocked. I mean, I just, I can't wrap my brain X, X days later. I still can't believe we're having this conversation. Yeah. I, I still, I, the Friday night when the news broke, I just, I, that night, I, it seems so surreal. I, I think I'm, I feel a little better about the fact that his body's back here. Um, we've got the reports now. It was just this, I, I don't know if fluke is the word you use for a death, but it was a, a, he had a blood vessel burst. He had an aortic aneurysm. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, here, you, here we have a guy 49 years old who looked 30 mm -hmm. was in phenomenal shape. You mentioned the bike. I mean, he rode his bike to the office all the time. Yeah. And then you have this happen. It's just so hard to process. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's this is someone who, you know, a, w- a week ago we would have said, oh yeah, that's that's the guy who listens to podcasts on the rowing machine in his apartment. I mean, there was no sense this was coming. Obviously, I mean, the fact that it happened at the World Cup, this quadrennial event where Grant would take pride in sort of working harder than anyone else during a game in the press box. I mean, it's just this consulate, just the fact pattern alone. And then I also think, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm really like, you and I know what a good guy he was. You and I know what, know what an extraordinary, exquisite journalist he was. But man, even, even with that, I mean, the, these tributes are really, um, I take great comfort of it. I know Celine, his, his wife does as well. And it's really, um, it's really extraordinary. And from, from LeBron James down to the intern 20 years ago, I mean, he, it, it, again, the, the cliche police would be out in full force here, but you talk about living a, a meaningful life and you talk about impacting lives and, um, these last few days with Grant have just been an extraordinary expression of that. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I don't want to give off the impression that like Grant and I were great friends. Like we weren't like, you know, texting, but we, we really liked each other. Always chatted when we saw each other, you know, it, it, this made me think a lot too about relationships, like work relationships, work relationships specifically, because you have these people in your lives for so many years and maybe you're not, you know, quote unquote close. They don't know your, inner secrets they don't know what goes on with your family but you see them so often and it really it's you know i don't want to be crass here while we're memorializing something but it's really a mind fuck in a way it really did a number on me because you know i what i loved about grant was he knew i wasn't a soccer guy i don't follow the sport i don't know anything about the sport and he would and some people get offended when you don't follow their sport. Grant was always so good about it. I had, I even posted in, in one of my columns this week that the, the last couple of exchanges we had on Twitter was him saying like he was looking forward to World Cup coverage and train of thoughts. And he had a really great way about it too. So um, it's just, it's, it's just, it's impossible to believe this has happened. Um, but he was a really, I mean, there are plenty of people who've come through the doors through the years that were really good people. There are people that you may not have liked that you were, I never heard anyone ever say a bad word about Grant ever in all those years. Well, um, you never had to edit his copy, but uh, um, no, uh, he, he, uh, no, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think people realize too, um, what a great teammate he was. I mean, it was sort of, he, he took mentorship very seriously I mean, what, one of my takeaways is just he became this this titan in the sport. Owned, I mean, we've all sort of, you know, I, I think I, you know, just he, he owned the sport. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate. This, this is the great soccer writer of his time. And he had this level of, of media stardom and respect. And I was telling this to someone else, you know, he, he, he didn't have a TV presence. He wasn't a, a shouter and a screamer. I mean, you look at sort of, you talked about this with, with Richard last week on your podcast. Who, who's at, you know, notionally anyway, who's at the, the top of the sports media food chain? You know, it's, it's the screamers and it's telling Shannon Sharp he sucked and it's transactional work where, you know, the, you're trying to rehabilitate Deshaun Watson through an anonymous source and it's culture wars and, Grant was none of that. Grant hated that. It offended Grant. And the fact that he could have this level of 
prominence, respect, status without those shortcuts. I mean, I think that one thing that a lot of people are sort of saying implicitly or explicitly is he not only achieved all this, but he did it the right way. And it's, I think it's really this, this validation of media, right? He, yeah, he yeah. was flying over to the World Cup and changing in Istanbul. It wasn't like he was living, you know, he, he didn't take his yacht over there, but right. he was doing his job with integrity. And I think that that really is something that's come through these last few days. And I, you know, I kind of felt like an idiot in a way because I knew Grant, obviously, was the authority on soccer. I knew he was the soccer. You know, it, one of the things I, I loved about being at Sports Illustrated over the years was I always felt like for a lot of the years, we had, quote unquote, the guy. Like, Grant was the soccer guy. You're the tennis guy. Verducci's the baseball guy. At the top of the of the professions, all of them. But even I was taken aback when I saw the outpouring for Grant because it, first of all, I mean, I didn't realize his reach in the soccer world where all the players, the FIFA, U.S. soccer with statements and everything. And then outside of the soccer world, so many people, you know, J.J. Redick talking about him during an NBA game, LeBron, um, Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King. I mean, I, you know, Grant and I probably were in, worked in the, as colleagues for 20 years, and I didn't even realize just, I knew he was the soccer guy. Like, I knew there was no soccer journalist more prolific, more important to the sport, and it still struck me the reach he had. It was really just unbelievable what you saw over the last few days. You know, for, for 10 years, too, he was going to covering the Final Fours, and he was the college basketball guy. And, I think there, it's a few things. I mean, first of all, Grant is not a look at me kind of person, right? He, he doesn't need to tweet at LeBron to prove that they have a relationship. He didn't sort of do this, this narcissism. And I also think that he had skills that carried over. And when you're a nice, efficient writer, and when you're curious and you like reporting, you can cover Maryland's NCAA title, which he did and wrote a great piece on deadline. You can cover Maryland's NCAA title the same way you can cover soccer. But I think it's, his heart was always in soccer again. I think if, and I, I know this, right? I mean, if he, if he'd had his way, he would have been the full-time soccer writer immediately, but right. he was as good a cop for 10 years. He was covered college basketball as well as anyone. Yeah. It, it, I, I think, I, you know, I have, I have a horrible memory, which I kind of hate now because I wish I remembered more of the early SI stuff when I started there. You said you started late 90s. It said reports I saw was Grant started in 96, which is what I, I guess that's when you started 96. Does that sound right to you at SI? I think, I think I was full time in 97, but yeah, okay. around, he graduated so, college in 96, went to the Miami area. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's around. Yeah, and I started in 2000 and I have very vague memories of Grant covering college hoops because I remember I think he used to do a mailbag that maybe I edited or, you know, the dot-com team edited. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, I had forgotten that he was the one who wrote the chosen one story. And I remember when I re-found out in my memory, I just remember being like, well, that is, you've got the soccer guy, again, using that expression, writing one of the most famous SI stories, which when Grant wrote that story too, he was extremely young. So it's just so cool all around that he he had that story with LeBron. Yeah, I mean, you, you do the math and he would have still been in his 20s. I mean, he right. wrote it with this sort of mature detachment. And I think, you know, he, he was never one of these kind of next best things. I mean, remember the, the Freddie Adu podcast he did? 
Mm-hmm. And the whole yes. theme of that, yes. the whole theme of that was sort of when you're baptized as the next big thing that comes freighted with all sorts of peril. And I think he was, I, I think we were still sharing an office. I mean, I know, I'll, I'll tell you two things about the LeBron story. One of them is sort of, I think he went into it a little bit skeptical. Like, I don't want to put, it's like Tony Mandarich, you know, it's like you're baptizing this guy as the next great thing. And then you're the guy who, I think he was a little skeptical of like not going too far overboard. Right. And then he was blown away by LeBron. And he came back from that story. He, he went to Akron first because I think he really wanted to make Akron a, a character in the story. You know what he said to me when he came back? He said, you know, I, I this kid's really good. Like enough people told me he's phenomenal. You know, Michael Jordan's. But what he really was blown away by was William Wesley, Worldwide West. Mm-hmm. And he defiled the story. And then he's like, I want to do a story on this William West. So he's out there. He's reporting on LeBron James. It's a cover story. It ends up being this, this breakthrough cover. And he files a story. And it's something else he came upon in the reporting. That's where he's – he wasn't doing a victory lap. He wasn't doing like, oh, I want to be first in line to do the LeBron memoir. There was none of – he'd moved on. But this little detail of, hey, who is this man that seems so well-connected that I've never heard of? Worldwide West, he calls himself. Boy, there's a story there. He'd already spun off his reporting into what am I going to do next? And he became obsessed with uh, with Worldwide West. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then obviously all the soccer stuff, which I wouldn't even begin to know where to tackle, but he he that's where he obviously became this enormous figure in the journalism world. It's funny you mentioned that podcast he did with Freddie Do. I... There are a few things I despise more doing this podcast when someone tells me who to put on or put someone on to promote something or whatever. And the respect I had for Grant is I had him on so he could promote that podcast and I don't follow soccer. And he bared with me asking the dumbest questions because normally I try to put those things off as much as possible. And I, but I had so much respect for Grant. I said, he, of course, I can, he can come on. But I just it was like, you know, I don't know what I'm asking you. So you're going to have to handle this. And he, he was such a good sport about it. Um that was really, Imagine. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, I mentioned before about, you know, the weirdness of this. How, you know, I mentioned we weren't like super tight where we were tight, but we'd always chat in the office. And there's another, you know, it's another weird thing with COVID. Like I, I hadn't seen Grant in three years. We don't have an office anymore. And it just added, you know, even more sort of murkiness you know back then i would see him at least once twice three times a week you know it just you know even if it's just say hello then we'd have a chat and you know with covid here that you miss the office life a little bit that's what that was another off offshoot of this it was like you know i kind of wish we had that camaraderie that we don't have anymore unfortunately without an office but you know covid wreaked havoc on everything um do you, do you remember when he would come in? I mean, uh, he with would... With the bike helmet I mean, I, you know. and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, All right, yeah. good, good. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And he sat in the so back he, there he, in a little cluster, right. and I'd always I'd walk back there and always have a conversation and chat and kill some time. Here's here's this guy who, who owns his sport. We see now the kind of reach he had, the respect he had, and he would come in, he'd city bike in, he'd have that ridiculous bike helmet, he'd mm. put on his headphones because he was tracking something, and he would sit in a cubicle along with the you know 22-year-old intern from Northwestern. Mm. And he loved that. He loved sort of being a part of the ecosystem. And it was just, I mean, it's again, I, I, the cliche editor would, would get their red pen out, but it, it was just about doing quality work. And he didn't care if he didn't have an office and sat in the cubicles and he, he just wanted to do good work. And 
people would do a double take sometimes. I think like Adnan Burke, I mean, people come to the office for, for you and, and Deitch and they would say, you know, I'd have people in and say, wait a second, is that, is that Grail Wall? Um, they couldn't believe he didn't have his own office. Yeah. And yeah. you sort of said that wasn't what he was about. I mean, right. he never, even with sort of socially, he didn't care at all about the hierarchy and the Time Warner bigwigs and sort of how was I going to angle to, he was more interested in talking about soccer with the video team intern than he right. was trying to figure out where he could get his next promotion. He just wanted to do good yeah. work. And treated everyone as, as well as you can. I never ever saw even a remote anything where he didn't treat someone with nothing but kindness and, and always helpful. And like I said, knew I knew I wasn't a soccer person was still supportive of me with, you know, what I was doing. So, um, could always use more people like that around around an office. That's yeah. for sure. Um, just I, you know, it's like I feel I, I in my head. I'm like, are we ever going to get to a point where like this seems real? It just still does not seem real. But um, I guess his wife came out part of the statement about him having the aortic aneurysm. She said she thinks though he probably didn't suffer too much pain. So. If you're looking for a silver lining, thank God for that. Just, uh, just surreal. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Any la any last things you want to say? Anything you want to? You don't have to, but uh, you know, I want to give you the floor here as as we wrap up talking about our former colleague Grant Wall. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and, and thanks for doing this this segment, Jimmy. I mean, you know, I I think it's a natural instinct to sort of say how how do we honor this person, and we can read his work in, in soccer and non-soccer. If you don't like soccer, there, there are plenty of other stories I'm happy to point people to. Um, but I also think, you know, it, it bears some consideration about how he went about treating other people, how he went about this job of media, especially at a time when, when media is under stress. And it's, it's really, it's like, it's like product placement for integrity. Um, it's sort of easy to traffic in cliche, but when you see, this kind of response and these this never-ending stream of stories and sort of people hitting on the same themes but personally impacted it, it's really it's it's a pretty strong advertisement for uh sort of go going about your your day and your job with integrity because people remember that and it really does matter i appreciate that well said um you know just a terrible terrible tragedy i thank you for coming on and um you know, like you said, hopefully everyone out there go read something Grant wrote. Go watch a video. Go go listen to a podcast um, and get a, and get a little feel. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Be well. You got it. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, joining me now, lead analyst for Fox NFL every Sunday with Kevin Burkhart. He is Greg Olson. Greg, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. First time having you on, and I uh, appreciate you doing this. Is uh, you've had a big season now with as the A crew with Burkhart. Um, let's just start with that. How's your? How's your? I mean, this is your. Second full year, I believe, doing this. You, you and then you and Kevin obviously got bumped up with Joe and Troy with ESPN. How is your first year going? Do you think as the lead analyst for Fox? You know, I think it's I think it's done really well. I, I think it's been a blast. First and foremost, we got Kevin and I got put. You know, when we got elevated to the A crew, we got put with just a great team. Obviously, um, Aaron and Tom have been you know been a part of that team, especially Aaron for a long time. You know, her and Tom do do such a great job and. And then obviously our producers and directors, they've called million Super Bowls. This this team is a very highly, highly successful experience group. So especially for somebody like myself to be put with, you know, a team of people that have called the biggest games with the biggest audiences, you know, for 20 plus years, it just brings, you know, it brings so much experience and so much knowledge and expertise to someone who admittedly is still learning the industry. You know, as, as you mentioned, it's only my second full year, you know, calling a slate to games um, here on Fox since I've retired and. You know, every week I feel like I learned something new. But at the end of the day, I think we have fun. I think our broadcast comes across that way. We have a blast being together on the weekends. And it's just been a fun work environment. Everyone gets along. Everyone's really enjoyed each other. It feels like a kind of a, you know, a fresh start for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I know Kevin and I are, you know, thrilled to be in those chairs. And, um, you know, I, th I think the ratings, the reviews, the people that have watched, I think everything's been positive. So uh, we're going to try to keep that going here as we approach the playoffs. I'm curious because I, I've talked so much on this podcast and I've had all the players on basically about how insane the offseason was with the broadcasters switching networks and getting elevated and all that. And 
you're in an, in an interesting boat because like we've said, there's only your second full season. So like, you know, all those people who've moved around have been around for so long and end up getting big money. I'm just curious. So, well, let me start with this. When you found out or heard that Troy was going to leave and go to ESPN, was your thought, oh, I want that gig? Or did you think, oh, I, you know, I, I've only done it one full year. They might not give it to me. What was your thought for your own personal situation when you heard Troy was leaving? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted it. There's there's no question. When when all the rumors and speculation, um, you know, started towards the end of last season, you know, through the playoffs and there were some reports that, you know, Troy might be leaving for Amazon or he might do a coat, you know, so there was all those speculation and rumors yeah. and whatnot. And, you know, it's hard. You don't want to get wrapped up in too much of it just because you never know how much of it is truth and how much of it is just kind of story and rumor. So, you know, as things became more real and it was finally announced that that Joe and Troy were both going to leave to to go to ESPN and do Monday night, you know, I, I'd be. Yeah, I'm, of course I wanted it. Right. I thought I could do it. I thought it makes sense to elevate Kevin and I. We we worked together, you know, not just last year, but we have a long history together. We did a couple games um, while I was still playing as a member of his crew. So, yeah, I think anybody that has any sort of pride or value would be like, hell yeah, I want the job. You know, I don't want it to be given to somebody else, you know, just elevate us and we'll do a great job. Right. And, uh, you know, but the reality was it wasn't my decision to make, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was really consulted on. So we didn't really know, you know, for a good part of the off season, exactly how things were going to settle and how things were going to end up. Um, you know, of course, then the Brady news, you know, gets released and it gets reported that, that Tom's in agreement with them to to do it at some point. We, you know, we don't know what that is. Um, you know, so I didn't know what that meant for me. So we, really it was just an off season of, you know, speculation and, and trying to be patient and, under, you know, understand that there's a lot of moving parts that, you know, Fox and the, and the team that, you know, gets paid to make all these hard decisions are sorting through all the different scenarios. And we understood that. We know what we signed up for. This is nothing new. This is very similar to, you know, my playing career where you're sometimes at the mercy of other factors. And if you get too wrapped up in those, uh, you can drive yourself crazy. I would imagine what I had to feel really good for you. I mean, listen, if anybody in any sport gets bumped up from the the two crew to the one crew, uh, in their second year, I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive jump and and sort of show of confidence from the network. Um, I thought what was really interesting about the fact that Fox did that with you, uh, you know, I w- you know, if you would have told me, oh, you know, Troy's leaving, they're going to make Greg Olson the number one analyst, I would say, okay, I get it. He's you know, everyone has been high on Greg, and Fox, he's his, you know, wants their own guy doing that, and I, I thought. The only thing that maybe could be sort of a little bit of a deterrent there was Fox having the Super Bowl and like, would they want someone in their second full year doing the Super Bowl? And they still gave you the gig. So that had a, I would assume that was a sort of a big confidence booster for you. Am I, am I right about that? The fact that you're getting to do the Super Bowl this year as well? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the fact that they're trusting, you know, us to, to host the biggest sporting event in the world. Um, you know, it speaks volumes about obviously how they feel our crew did last year. You know, we had a chance to call some primetime games towards the end of the year on some Saturday nights, some Thursday night gigs that were in front of larger audience, more national audience. And um, I think that was really like an opportunity for for more people to see us versus just the one o'clock slate on Sunday afternoons, you know, on those double headers or whatnot. So I think, yeah, I think towards the end of the year, I think we showed them that, you know, we I might be new at this, but alongside Kevin and, and with the rest of our group, 
we can make games fun. We can make games maybe a little different and more, you know, a little different than what people are accustomed to and give people a little different perspective. I mean, listen, the, the reality of this entire thing is is the the hesitation and the knock and, you know, the questions about whether or not I were going to I was going to be promoted from A to B and can he handle it and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's if I played quarterback, <laughs> I don't think any of this would be a conversation. Right. It's just the reality of it. It's it's a quarterback driven position. Um, especially of late, I get that, but, um, I feel my experience playing the position that I did for as long as I did and my, the way I learned the game, the way I've been around the game leads to a different broadcast, right? We're talking about different things than just the guy throwing it and catching it. And I feel like people have come to like that. I think people that tune in to our games come to expect a little bit of a different, you know, analysis. And, uh, I don't shy away from that, right? I'm not a quarterback. I didn't, you know, but that's okay. I have a unique set of perspective of how I've learned the game, how I've seen the game. I would argue tight end, maybe more so than any position on the team was, was, was taught and learned. And we studied the game from all different unique perspectives from pass protection to offensive line meetings, to route running, to quarterback styles, to defense coverages, fronts, blitzes. There was very little, you know, other than the quarterback, no other position that learned the game like we did. So I think that is a little bit of the hesitation that people have like completely, accepting the fact that a non-quarterback is going to sit in the top booth and call the Super Bowl. Um, but it is what it is. As quarterbacks get all the perks. Yeah, I get it. It comes with the territory. <laughs> um, tell, so let me, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about getting into it because I, I remember um, being sort of blown away that you had done games for Fox while you were still playing. It was something I don't think we've seen before. When did you, I mean, and you had a great career as a tight end. When did you realize you wanted to get into broadcasting and get into the booth? You know, I don't ever really, I don't think it was really a, ever a conscious decision. I don't think it was ever a, a moment in time where I said, you know what, when I'm done, I'm going to call games. Really just opportunities as a player, you know, both starting like regionally and locally here in Charlotte, doing some different TV stuff and, and getting some different opportunities. And then it was like 2014, 15, I was out in the summer. Um, I was out in LA visiting a buddy and, and, and the folks at Fox were like, Hey, why don't you come into the studio and call a, you know, call a rehearsal game. Prior to that, I had done some, you know, some studio stuff, both, you know, regionally on some, you know, Fox sports South and, you know, some of the CBS shows like the, the pre pre show, like on my bye week So I'd done some, some small little level stuff over the years. And then Fox brought me and they said, Hey, why don't you come do a, you know, kind of in studio call a game as like an audition tryout. It was with Kevin Burkhart, which was awesome. And um, so it was like 2014, 15 summer sometime around then. And uh, it went well, they liked it. And then a year or two later, they called in the summer leading into the 2017 season and said, Hey, we have a really unique opportunity. We'd like to bring you into the booth with Kevin and, and Charles Davis at the time was his partner and make it a three man booth. And if you're open to it on, on a bye week would you, you know, would you be open to doing that? I said, hell yeah, I, I'd love that opportunity. So I did that in 2017. That was my first like real game. Um, you know, and then 2019, they gave me another opportunity to put me in a two man booth. And I did a game with Kenny Albert. And then in 2020, prior to my last season, right before the pandemic hit, um, I called five weeks of the XFL. Me and Kevin did, um, which was my first real experience of calling games week after week, you know, continuously. So we called five games and then the league shut down and the world went into a global pandemic. So that was my last taste. I played my last year there in, in 2020 in Seattle and then obviously moved into the booth full time last year with the B crew with Kevin. 
Well, do, do you remember a moment? So you said when you were playing, you didn't really think about going in the booth. Did you ever have a moment, whether it was doing the practice games with Kevin, XFL, when you were doing it, where, where like maybe a light went off and you're like, oh, I want to do this. This is cool. I like doing this. Yeah. You know, I think after, I think doing the 2017 game opened my eyes to how much I enjoyed calling the game. You know, prior to that, everything had been in studio and that's what everyone's accustomed to seeing. You know, there's the reality is there's more people who can do studio than can call games. You know, that's what I've right. come to realize from just, you know, I've been on the Monday countdown, the Monday night, you know, the not Monday night, but the sun, you know, Sunday NFL countdown with ESPN. I did some stuff for the Super Bowls a couple of years and been in studio with Fox and and those are those jobs are a blast right to to talk general about the the landscape of the league and different storylines and topics was a blast but it was really the studying and the week in week out you know the grind of calling the games and learning the games and learning the players that really that I felt would keep me connected to a game that I've known since I was a kid and um that was really that 2017 experience with Kevin and Charles the way they brought me into the booth Charles was incredible um, you know, just the way he treated me, the way he, you know, took care of me and he was just wonderful. And then obviously I, I knew Kevin for a long time, so he was great. So that was really when I said, you know what, I can do this. Like this is, this isn't, this isn't that hard. Like I can do this. I can talk ball. I can make it fun. We can have a great time. You know, it's work. It's, it's studying and whatnot. But that 2017 experience was probably the moment where I'm, the light bulb went off. And I said, you know what, this is something that I could do if I pursued this, I think I could, um, you know, kind of make a second career out of it. I remember there was a lot of buzz about you too, about this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be good in the booth. And um, obviously it's worked out tremendously. I, I like what you said earlier about giving a different perspective, calling games as a tight end, because most of the analysts are quarterbacks. I'm just curious. So I, I think that's a huge strength. What would you say you need to approve upon? I mean, you've only been doing this for two years, so obviously you probably have some stuff you think you can do better or maybe you want to do differently. What what do you what would you like to, you know, get better at doing games? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, I know I need to improve at. You know, even just some of the, the the technical processes of, you know, the cameras and what they're called and the communication to the booth. You know, a lot of that stuff I'm still kind of learning. And I joke with um, you know, our producer and director, you know, Rich Russo and, and Richie Zions, they've been calling Super Bowls for a long time. I have a kind of a running joke like the game hasn't started until Z, Richie Zions, our producer, until he tells me to like keep my thoughts to it down. So like first couple plays of the game, now it's become like a tradition. He'll get in my ear and just be like, remember to slow down. My problem is, and you know, this was also something when I was a player, you see so much that you find interesting, right? On any given play, you know, it could be a 25 yard pass completion down the middle, right? That the easy thing to point out is great throw by, you know, Patrick Mahomes and what a great catch by Travis Kelsey. And I, I'm always in the belief like, yeah, no shit. Like everyone at home saw that. Everyone knows that. Like, what element to why that was a good play can you provide the audience? The right. problem is, do you want to pick like what they did to the coverage? Do you want to find the back who did a great job in pass protection? You want to show the job that the offensive line did sliding to Micah Parsons, who's the best pass rusher? There are so many aspects to why plays are or are not successful. And sometimes when you see three or four of them, I need to be better. Just just pick one. And if you don't get your second most important thought, you have the entire rest of the game to share that with the viewer when it becomes when it becomes, you know, when it's relevant again. So, like, those are the things I'm, I'm so excited about the game of football. It's something that I've lived and breathed and, and done my whole life. 
that I want everyone else to like really enjoy it and learn and share. But you also don't get to just talk over the entire broadcast, right? It's not the Manning cast where everyone's there to listen right. to you. You have to talk in, in spurts and get out of the way for, for your partner. So that's, that's part of what I have to do is like, hey, pick one great thought, even though you might have four, and you can come back to the other ones as the game goes on. So right. that's something that I'm in a constant battle with myself to not go information overload. And it seems like you and Kevin had chemistry right from the beginning. It didn't seem like you guys had to work too much on, on you know, I mean, listen, I, I don't even know if I, I'm not sure chemistry is something you either work on. I mean, I think either you have it or you don't. You guys seem to really be a good fit together. Um, so did that start? I mean, you mentioned doing that practice game with Kevin. Was it smooth sailing right from then on? Or did that really start when you did a full season last year? When do you think you and Kevin sort of perfectly meshed together like you do now? Well, I mean, I've, I've known Kevin for a long time, well before that rehearsal game, you know, back in 15 or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, I knew Kevin when I was in high school. I, I knew Kevin. He, he worked. He, he went to a college in my hometown. He was, you know, a young broadcaster, kind of up and comer, calling high school football games for the local AM radio station in, in New Jersey. And he would come to my high school and he would come cover our game. So, I mean, I've known I've known Kevin since I was 15, 16 years old. You know, we had stayed in touch loosely throughout the years. And of course, when he joined Fox full time as an analyst, he would, you know, call my games and we kind of reconnected, you know, later on in, in our lives. But um, so I, there was just always a, a connection, you know, from the same part of Jersey back home. We've known each other for a long time, called that rehearsal game, then went into the booth with him with, with Charles. So we just have a long history together. We know each other. We know where we're from. We kind of have shared values and and we just get along like we get along off the, you know, off camera. And yeah. I think that's so important and something that we've really just enjoyed. Like, the, are, we always say, like, if we're going to do all this and we're going to spend all this time together and work together, you might as well like the people you're doing it with or it's hmm. going to be a long year. Yeah. You know, we're, we're living in hotels and we're in production meetings and we're on calls and talk. If it's a grind to be around these people day in and day out, you're going to make for a miserable person to work with. And the reality is you're not going to be very good at your job because it's going to affect it in some capacity. So I'm very fortunate that Kevin and I and the entire crew, I mean, Aaron and Tom, I obviously have gotten to know them more closely this year as a result of working together. But um, it's just a fun group to work with. And and obviously, Kevin, you know, it all starts it starts and stops with him and just his personality and the way he is. So, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. It's definitely made this transition a whole a whole lot easier versus working with someone that you have no prior history with. Yeah, for sure. I had, I had Kevin on, on this podcast. I don't know. It was either two or three weeks ago. And, um, you mentioned the Brady deal at Fox and, uh, Kevin shared a funny story about that. I'm going to play a little clip of it right now to hear. So you can hear, uh, what Kevin said. I had asked him about, you know, obviously Brady has this deal with Fox to come into the booth. You have the job. And you guys have done Bucks games. And I asked Kevin about the first time you have your meeting with Brady this season, given the, the sort of elephant in the room. So we're going to play that clip now so you can hear what Kevin had to say about that. Shelby, if you could play it. I can tell you one thing on some of the other stuff I'll leave with us. But like it was, you know, just when we came on, um, you know, and they know each other. Um, right. But when we came, <laughs> when we came on, we're just shooting the shooting the shit at first. And like you usually do for you actually start the, these meetings and uh greg said and hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this but greg said tom i gotta tell you this tv thing sucks it's just <laughs> it's so <laughs> but it was great we were dying yeah, dying yeah. laughing so 
I know Kevin, I know that story is accurate. He wouldn't come on and make that up. So tell me, give me your perspective on that first meeting with Tom and, and that icebreaker that you gave him. It is a true story. It is a true story. And and we had joked, Kevin and I had joked, you know, leading up to that first Bucks game. I think we had him, I want to say like early. I mean, it was really early in the season. I, I God, the games all blurred together. I want to say it was like week two, maybe week, you know, two or three, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, we had joked like, you know, you think Brady, like, what do we say to him? Like, you know, obviously everyone knows that he potentially could come, you know, work for Fox and it's my job. And, you know, like we, you know, we were just kind of joking around about the thing. So it wasn't really anything like pre-planned and, and it kind of came up and he's asking how we're doing. And, you know, again, like Kevin said, we're just kind of shooting the shit, just kind of small talk and breaking the ice. And I was like, you know, Tom, <laughs> this TV shit sucks. Like you shouldn't even, don't even worry about it. I'll, I'll handle it. I'll deal with all the bullshit. You just keep playing, go be a model, do whatever you got. You know, you have a thousand things you could do and he got a kick out of it. And we laughed. I, I don't know Tom really well. I mean, I, I know him. We've crossed paths, obviously playing against each other a bunch of times over the years. And we had some dialogue back in 2020 about potentially, you know, going to play with him when he was a free agent and I had gotten released by the Panthers. So we've had some relationship over the years, nothing overly personal, you know, or away from the game at all, but he's obviously someone that I have immense respect for. And, and, uh, you know, someone that I, I feel, you know, feel very strongly and hold in high regard. So it, it was just a, it was a fun moment. He, he laughed. We, you know, we all, it was a kind of a fun kind of icebreaker. Like you said, it was the elephant in the room. Everyone was thinking it, everyone knows it. And, um, you know, I haven't shied away from it. It's not something that I hide from. It's not something that intimidates me or, or makes me feel, you know, uncomfortable. It is what it is, right? I mean, I, I get it. And, and uh, you know, would I have loved to get the job for the next 10 years? Of course. But do I understand that when, you know, you have a chance to to do something with Tom Brady, you have to at least pursue it and take a shot at it? Of course, I get it. I, I told the the team at Fox when, you know, we talked all this out and they were super transparent and upfront. They were great. I said, you know what, guys, here's my goal. I hope next year after the Super Bowl, I hope the conversations internally, you know, I said this in jest, right? Like as a... They're like, I said, I hope that it's like, damn, I can't believe we have to replace Olsen. I said, and if I do that, you replace me, I go back down to my old team. Great. Tom Brady becomes the A crew. I get it. It sucks, but I get it. And it's not going to take away from how I prepare. It's not going to take away from how I try to do my job. And I'll go try to do a great job next year and make it even harder on you guys. Like I said, that's just my mentality. That's how, you know, that's how I was raised as a player. Someone comes in to take your job. Fine bench me, but I'm going to make it hard as shit on you to bench me that, you know, and again, it's nothing personal against Tom. I have no right. animosity towards for towards Fox. Like Fox has treated me incredibly well. I I've said that time and time again, I would not be in this position if it wasn't for Fox believing in me five, six years ago to give me a shot. Like they did, you know, to call a game when no one had ever seen me do it. Fox believed in me more than any other network. Some of the other networks, we kind of danced and there was some interest, but nobody liked Fox. So I have nothing but positives to say about my entire experience with the people at Fox. I hope I work with them for the next 20 years. I just hope it's with the A crew. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I've, I've said on this podcast and I, and I probably have written this in my column. Um, you know, I, I, when this whole thing came down, I thought it was sort of super weird and shitty for you. But I said, if it was, let me rephrase that. If it was anyone else that Fox was going to bring in, I think it would be super shitty for you and weird. But when Fox is bringing in the greatest quarterback of all time, you, it's like, what are you supposed to do? You can't blame no. them for doing it. So it, it's a, you're in a weird spot from sort of. 
I, that, I you know, I and it's not just the greatest quarterback of all time. He's also this personality outside of football. So it just all makes sense for Fox. It of just, course. you know, I don't, if I was them, I'd do the same thing. Right, right. I, I get it, right? Like we all have to live in reality. And right. I think sometimes people choose not to live in reality. I, I am very clear on what I signed up for. I'm very clear on how this world works. I've lived it for 20 years. I get it. And I don't, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. It doesn't make me resentful. I have nothing but appreciation for all the opportunities. If this is the only Super Bowl I ever call, I still got to call Super Bowl and have a blast right. for a year and call some of the most highly rated games in NFL history. Like, what do I have to complain about? Well, and it also, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. They'd keep you there and make it a three-person booth, which, I mean, on one hand, as just a viewer, I hate three people, three men booth, but I would get why they would do that because if they like you, you're good at your job, Tom hasn't done it before, it might make sense to, you know, put him in there as a, as a three-person. Have you thought about the possibility of that? We haven't, you know, to be honest with you, we, we have been so kind of locked in on, on calling this slate of games. You know, we got four more games until the playoffs and, you know, some of them are going to be huge. You know, we got Dallas this week down in, in Jacksonville and then next week we could have potentially the game of the year. You know, we, you know, right. Philly, Dallas, Christmas Eve, national game, um, you know, that could be like another Thanksgiving type game, um, you know, as far as the platform and whatnot. So like we've been so in this week in week out grind of just trying to continue to put a good product out there. We've had some tough games the last couple of weeks where like we've really had to earn earn our money and like keep the game alive. You know, last week's game, Tampa uh, was down 28 nothing at halftime. Sh first part of the third quarter, McCaffrey scores yeah. again. The 49ers are up 35 nothing. So like we've had, you know, we've had some games go both ways, good and bad. So as far as what the future holds and how the booth is set up and how Tom, I, to be honest with you, I don't really spend a lot of time. I'm sure this off season, that'll be more of the focus of the conversation and more right. of the focus of my energy. But right now we got four regular season games left. We're hoping that every one of these has playoff implications. Every one of these is super exciting and, and comes down to the wire. And then I've never called a playoff game. So that first week, that wild card game, wherever we are, whoever we're playing, you know, whoever we're doing, it's going to be the first time I'm ever calling a game in a playoffs. And then the next week will be the first time I ever do it in divisional. And each week it'll be first time, first time, first time. So I'm excited for that journey. I'm excited about what these next two months, um, you know, bring to the table. And uh, I'm going to enjoy it while we have it and make the most of it. And I'm not going to try to waste a lot of my my energy and, and, and time, you know, worrying about hypotheticals. Because as we've all seen, every time everyone thinks they know what's going to happen, something new happens. So... No one's been able to predict the future of this whole kind of musical chairs for the last year. And I don't know if I sure as hell ain't going to be able to do it now. You know, the, the week before Kevin was on, Joe Buck was on this podcast and he said he doesn't he, he said he he wouldn't be surprised if Brady never did a game at Fox and it caused a big stir out there in the aggregation world of the Internet. So maybe Joe will be right and you'll be with Kevin as the A team forever. And there you Who go. Knows? I was going to ask you, you brought up going to Dallas to do the Dallas-Jacksonville game, and you've got Dallas-Philly. I, I wanted to get into a couple of scheduling things with you because uh, this has been a big topic throughout the season with the schedule because Thursday night's been terrible. Monday night's going to be really bad here for a few weeks. Sunday 425 is usually always a good game, but you've mentioned a couple of bumps in the road last couple of weeks. I, it was fascinating to me to see that they were sending you and Kevin to Jacksonville. Um, now, listen, I get it. Get the Cowboys 
in front of the most people in the country at all times. And the A crew always covers the Cowboys. But Dallas Jacksonville is is you don't see the A crew of CBS or Fox in Jacksonville too often. And then you get Dallas the next week. Now the Dallas Philly game, you were supposed to do a game on Christmas Day, right? And they pulled you off that and they're putting you on Dallas Philly. How do you feel now you get your Christmas Day back? Was that a nice perk there or you didn't care about that? You know, I, I was when the schedule came out and we were going to do a Christmas Day game. It was going to be Green Bay down at, at Miami. You know, I don't know if anyone, I don't, I don't, I, I know for a fact no one anticipated the season going at least on Green Bay side the way it's gone at least up to this point. And then Miami, being a you know one of the sneaky most exciting teams in the league, I, I thought people think they were going to be good. I don't know if people thought that necessarily first year Mike McDaniel and Tua and all that they would be this fun to watch and this exciting. I know last week they kind of laid an egg against the Chargers, but I think when they kind of looked at it, so I guess I was excited about calling the game, going back down to Miami, calling the game on Christmas. We were, you know, it was going to be a great experience. But then when the whispers started coming that that Christmas Eve Philly Cowboys game, and especially as both teams continued to win, continue to win, you know, Philly's got the best record in the league. The Cowboys are the Cowboys plus they're really good. I think we always knew if they could somehow figure out how to finagle that, that they would get yeah, us yeah. off and put us on Christmas Eve. And then we found out a couple of weeks ago that it was official, that they were able to work out exactly what the details of how all that works out. I obviously I'm not privy to, but I think from a football perspective, from a audience perspective, it just makes sense, right? It makes sense yeah. to call oh, yeah. two of the top teams, not only in the league, two of the premier organizations in the entire league. Anytime you can get the Cowboys in a meaningful game, of course. And then that game could have significant significant playoff implications and yeah. you know all of us are like crossing our fingers that neither team like le- lays an egg before right. big matchup you know you want them both going in you know full steam so we're excited for that but i'm excited to go down and see jacksonville i had never we have never called a jacksonville game even last year obviously trevor lawrence is playing really well you know but diving into them this year and seeing a lot of the new players that they have and you know names that you've recognized but you're used to seeing them in other jerseys now they've kind of resurfaced down in Jacksonville and Doug Peterson kind of coming in and doing what he does, which is stabilize foundations and grow them and become winners. So there's a lot of fun storylines with Jacksonville. They're young, they're talented. They have some good players. And obviously, you know, we see Dallas a lot. So that's a team that we know and we'll have, you know, I'm assuming we'll get them a few more times before this, uh, before this year is over. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Since I have you here, I did want to ask some football questions outside of broadcasting just because you you have played so recently and i always i love talking to current players or players who have just played just for some perspective on a couple of things I'm curious you you mentioned you guys did the um bucks niners game last week video came out during the week afterwards of a bunch of niners players going up to tom after the game asking for autographs asking for pictures, signing a jersey. Um, I Now, I know he's the GOAT. I, I got all that. And I know he's, like I said, he's a celebrity even outside of football. But it did strike me a little, I don't want to say weird. That's a little strong. But, I mean, it is an opposing player. You've just played a game. Maybe because the Niners, I mean, if the Niners lost, I guess maybe it would be a bigger issue. But as a player, it, is that totally normal? Would you not want teammates to do that what's your take on that i'm just curious i I think the point you made about at least they won the game is a big differentiator i think if they had lost and i watched a teammate go up and get an autograph signed by the guy who just kicked our ass i'd be furious so first and foremost the fact that you beat them i think the final was like 35 7 or whatever the final score was um that helps right at least we beat them soundly we played well okay fine I personally would not do that. I, I just, it's just not my thing. I, I feel like out there on the field, you can, you're obviously respectful. Everyone appreciates Tom or whether it's Peyton Manning or whoever it is. It doesn't matter who it is. You're, yeah. you always appreciate and respect greatness when you see it. And that's the epitome of greatness, obviously, with Tom. I just feel like when we're all out there on the field and we're all in the, you know, in our uniforms and we're all playing by the same rules and you can't tr- approach and, treat other people as being different than you because i feel like then they win right right so like in my mind i would not personally do it if my teammate did it or whatever like i'm not gonna you know when he comes in the locker room i'm not gonna make a big deal out of it 
It's not my style, but listen, for a lot of these young kids and a lot of these guys, probably the last time they ever play against him, he's a guy they've, they've grown up and he's been the, the the god of the NFL for so long, for their almost their entire lives for a lot of yeah. these kids. So I get it. I, I get it. But you know, I think some of that, I, I even saw it happening live from the booth and I was like, yeah, interesting. Like, it's a little aggressive. I understand guys going up and shaking hands yeah. and saying, great job. I respect you. Appreciate what you've done. Yeah, I get all that, but. And some they were it, the the nice players were mic'd up, so in the, you know you hear them saying, "Hey, can you sign my jersey, bro?" And yeah, I, the, I get it. it. I, yeah. I don't know. I it's it's a different. I try not to be like the old man who says, "You know, things are different now than right. when I was a player." So I I try not to like pass my perspective as a thirty eight year old ex player on these young twenty something year olds who just they're living in a different world. They're living in a different right. ecosystem. The NFL is very different than it was when I was twenty five. So I try not to like pass judgment on how other people choose to live. Like I said, thankfully they won. Right. Thankfully, thankfully it was all in a in a fun moment for the 49ers, but well, yeah, that's not really my style, but uh to each their own, I guess. Well, and that's the flip side of it. So I'm watching the video and one guy asked Brady to sign his jersey, the guy who intercepted the ball, Greenway wanted him to sign, Greenlaw wanted him to sign the ball. Another guy's asking for a bit and I'm like I, I was there was a part of me that was a little amazed Tom didn't just say fuck off and walk off the I'm field. I'm shocked that Tom signed the interception ball. I'll yeah. be honest. He's a lot better of a man than me. Because yeah. Dre Greenlaw is a phenomenal player, first and foremost. Yeah. I'm not I wouldn't have signed that ball. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't. I, I would have said, Hey Dre, listen, brother, you're a hell of a dude. You're a great player. Hell of a pick. One hand. You're great. I'm not signing the pick. Right. And what's and interesting mean, is... And I don't mean that Tom, disrespectfully. I just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And Tom's gotten so much shit throughout his career because he hasn't shaken hands with some players. And Ryan Fitzpatrick called him out this year because he said, you know... Yeah. Hey, and now here's Tom taking pictures and signing yeah. jerseys and balls. It was interesting. It after was a, a ass kicking. After a flat out asking. And I, I yeah. guess... And I heard Dre uh, Greenlaw give the... He goes, hey, the worst thing he could have said is no. So like... Listen, he's got I a good have, philosophy, yeah? Yeah, I mean, what's he yeah. going to say? No? Okay. You go back in the locker room and you gave it a shot. He didn't say no. So now he has a memento for the rest of his career. He can show his kids, listen, in potentially the last season, if not one of the last seasons in uh, Tom Brady's career, I picked him off and I got him to sign the ball at, after the game. So credit to him. I, I'm just, I don't yeah. knock any of the guys for doing it. I just, I personally wouldn't do it, but right. everyone does their thing. The other thing I wanted to ask you, you were a great tight end for many years. And there's a lot of talk this year about tight ends because of Travis Kelsey. Who do you think is the greatest tight end of all time? Well, I said this on a broadcast a couple of weeks ago and people lost their minds, but that's okay. <laughs> the current trajectory of what Travis has done, I think barring something unfor unforeseen, which I couldn't knock on wood harder because I don't ever want to see anyone, let alone a guy who's put a career like this, have something derail it. But the trajectory in which he's on if he, he can, and people said this four years ago, oh, if he can he keep it up? Well, there's it, history tells us if anyone can keep it up, it's him. And if he puts another couple years together like he has, I think Travis goes down as the best. What yeah. he's doing, I, I know Tony kind of sits out there 15,000 yards or whatever it is, and that's like a number that to all of us growing up was unfathomable. Like you couldn't even process the idea of having 15,000 yards. Travis has had seven consecutive 1,000 yard seasons. Yeah. Seven. Not to toot my own horn, but back in 2016, I became the first guy to do it three times in a row. Right. 
He's done it seven times. It's it's unheard of. The next yeah. closest guy not in consecutive is four. A couple guys have had four thousand years. I think Gronk's had four. Right. Maybe Witten had four. Antonio Gates. Antonio maybe. Gates might have had four. So like a handful of the household names have had yeah. four. A couple guys had three. You know, and then guys have had a scattered year here and there with a thousand. But to go seven, let alone seven in a row, is ridiculous. He just crossed ten thousand yards. I, I mean, I think Travis's current trajectory is only a couple years away from him going down as as the best. You know, and then as far as who that other category, of course, Gonzalez is always in the conversation. Gronk, you know, the the Wittens in the world, I don't think get appreciated enough. Like his consistency year yeah. in and year out. I mean, he's got thirteen thousand yards or something crazy. So I think there's a lot of those household names that are all in that mix. It's weird to me, and I'm not saying this to kiss your ass because you're on, but like I feel like tight ends don't get enough respect, even from teams. Like here in New York, for example, you know, I follow the Jets closely. I'm not a fan, but I follow they've never had a good tight end. They don't care about having a good tight end. We're seeing the Dolphins this year who have a very good tight end. I think that he's gotten four catches the whole season. Like, why would teams just totally not want to go all in on having a good tight end. I don't get it. Is that what do you th- well, what do you think that's about? I don't necessarily think it's that they don't want one. I think that people think it's easier to find them than they are. Like right. there's very like everyone would oh Travis Kel-. teams would kill themselves to get Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Gronk and like teams would do they do backflips to get these guys. The reality is there's just not a lot of them. Right. There's just a not a lot of six five 250 pound guys that can run around and hold up in the run game and be explosive pass catchers and have the footwork and the the mental approach to be able to line up in five different positions throughout the course of the game and handle blitz pickups and run game assignments and pass routes and adjustments and hots. Like it's a mentally and physically very demanding position. So there's just not a lot of guys that can do it. Right. And then yeah. the the next difference between the Kelseys of the world and the kid, there's just a there's a higher learning of playing the position that you can't coach. You can't bring a guy in and say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to play like Travis Kelsey. There's a, you know, there's there's a lot of six five guys, right? But can they play the way Kelsey does? Do they have the feel? Do they find space? Do they have the hands, the run after catch? Like you can't coach that stuff. So like there's so few and far between that I think every team that's successful, I think if you look around the league at the best teams over the last five, six years, almost every team that's in the Super Bowl has one of the top tight ends. Almost all the best offense in the league have one of the top tight ends. It's it's a position that everybody wants. It's just not a position that everybody can find at that level. And, you know, you're seeing it with Tampa right now. I think, you know, they got a couple of decent kids. They're young. They're learning. But they're not Gronk. Right? right? It, it, right. It's just there's not – everyone says, oh, we just got to replace them. Who? With who? They're not just a dime a dozen out there. So I think that's a big part of it. If you told – if you told the Jets that tomorrow they could have Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Darren Waller, they'd cut off their arm for him. It's not that they don't want him. It's that it's not that easy to find him. Right. Well, the Jets have proven that, that's for sure, because they never have a good tight end. I um, thought they were gonna I thought the Jets were gonna draft me back in two thousand seven. They drafted some guy named Darrell Revis. I don't know what happened to him. Well, it's still he was better okay. he didn't, still better he didn't come to the Jets. <laughs> he was fine. Darrell yeah. Revis worked out okay. Um would you? Well, I mean, I didn't. You know, I never knew. You know, I did a little research for this interview. I didn't realize you were from New Jersey. For some reason, I always thought you were from the Charlotte area, which then no. I realized made no sense. And I realized you were from Jersey. So, would, being from Jersey, were you hoping the Jets would have drafted you? 
Yeah, I, th- I thought I had a real shot to go to New York. I-, I thought, you know, coming out, I took one of my visits, you know, like the pre-draft, whatever they call them, visits there. Uh, Mangini was the coach. Um, I was going to say, okay, I was going to ask. Yeah, you Eric Mangini. Or, and, okay. Yeah, it was Eric Mangini was the coach. Um, I'm trying to remember who the quarterback was. It might have been like Chad Pennington maybe. Yeah. Would that yeah. have been right in 2007? Probably. I can't remember exactly who was there, but um, yeah, so I took my visit there. What happened was they they were originally supposed to pick in like the 20s and they traded up with the Panthers, coincidentally, and traded up because Revis fell. So I think if the if the Jets would have stayed in the 20s, I think I had a shot to somehow go there. They traded up, to, I want to say, to like 13 when Revis fell out of the top 10, understandably so, drafted Revis and uh, switched with the Panthers. Got it. The last thing I wanted to ask you about football, you know, we saw it this week with Micah Parsons saying some things about Jalen Hurts, about is it Jalen Hurts, is it the team? I know the media and fans, we love to use the phrase bulletin board material. I want to know as a player, is bulletin board material real? Is that a real thing with players? I don't think it's a real thing with the players who are legit. I I don't think you need to give Jason Kelsey and Jalen Hurts and guys of that like competitive culture and that competitive fabric. I don't think you need to motivate them to go play their ass off in two weeks on Christmas Eve. You know what I mean? Like I I just think the, the notion that professional athletes who are inherently highly competitive, they need some headline in a newspaper or some tweet to get them to go out there, uh, you know, I, I wanted to win, but I really want to win now. Like, I think that's a lot of nonsense. Now, do I think some people are externally motivated and do kind of ride with the wind of what people say and do and care? Yeah, I feel like that's a big part of our current culture of our world. I think it's a big current culture of young players in the NFL. I think everyone is so worried about what everyone says about them that it's almost like all encompassing and, and consuming. But I think to the real teams like Philly, like Dallas, the teams that are just week in and week out, highly, highly competitive with really big time players on their team. Those guys are not going to play any harder if Micah Parsons said Jalen Hurts is the MVP or if Jalen Hurts sucks. Jalen Hurts is going to come out there and try to slit his throat. And Jason Kelsey is going to come out there and try to slit their throat. You know what I mean? Like they're going to yeah, come yeah. out there and try to kill them and win that game, regardless of whether you say nice things about them or shitty things about them. Right. So I, I think a lot of that is a little bit of hype. I think a little bit of that is media-driven. Yeah. Um, when that ball is kicked off and it's all time, every single guy on that field is giving every ounce of their body and effort to try to be successful to win that game with or without comments from the other team. You you mentioned a little a couple of seconds ago about uh, caring about what other people think. Just curious, what's what your philosophy is with Twitter. Do you check your mentions? Do you maybe wait a few days after a game to check your mentions? What are your, are you, is it mostly positive? What, how do you handle that part of the broadcasting world? Yeah. I'll tell you, if you enter the broadcasting, this is like a public service announcement for anyone who gets into anything on television. If you enter the world of television, you better not care what other people think, because if you do, you're done. It will crush your soul. You could be the best. If John Madden called games today on Twitter, people would still crush him. Absolutely. So like you can't, you can't worry about what other people said. Yeah. I do tweets. Get back to me. I'm on Twitter. You see people that retweet you or comment at you. Yeah. It does not 
give me one ounce of concern. The only people that I care whose opinion I care about my team. I care about Kevin and Aaron and Tom and Richie and Russo, like the people within my team that say, I tell them, I say, Hey, listen, if there's something I need to do better or different, I need you to tell me because I don't know what I don't know. So like if those people are happy with how everything's going and my bosses at Fox give positive response and feedback, like those are the people whose opinion matter. And as we all know, right now we're in a world where everyone's opinion matters to a lot of people. Right. And I just really try to stay out of that world. Like early on, my first couple games, you're damn right. I would <clears> check Twitter and say, well, do people think I'm good? Do people think I'm bad? You know, but now I'm like, people think I'm good. People think I'm bad. People think my suit's the wrong color. People think my hair's not combed. People think <laughs> I look like Dexter. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, now, yeah, yeah that's that one's true at least. I mean, I see that. That I get. People aren't yeah. good. Listen, Twitter's funny. People are very funny. I mean, there's some jokes that are at my disposal that I'll people like my buddies will send to me and stuff. And like, right. I'll laugh. Like, right. I'm not too, too good to like laugh at a funny joke about myself. Like, I, I think yeah. a lot of them are really good. But um, as far as my ability to do the job, the reality is like people outside the industry, people outside of this profession or my bosses directly or really those are the only voices who I really take into account and really care about any feedback. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh but it's it's easier said than done, right? We're all human. I've always no. said the the only the only broadcaster I've ever seen the only broadcaster who I've never seen a negative word about is Vin Scully. Outside of that, everyone gets destroyed. Yeah, it's it's just a different day and age now, right? Like yeah. You know, if, but if, you also have I mean, there are also I mean, besides Twitter, there's also people who cover, you know, dopes like me who cover the media who are writing things, yeah. too. And, and, and I, I wouldn't people, pay, if I were you, I wouldn't pay attention to that either. Well, you only write great things about me, right? That's why I'm on this podcast. I think I've only written one negative thing about you the whole season. And what was it? Let's get I, it out you, in the open right now. You you need to be a little harder on the refs. That's be my harder big beef. on the refs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, give me an example. Green Bay, Dallas. There was an atrocious pi call late you said it was a good call and then there was a no they, call it was a, on it was a pi did they call I don't, PI or they it was late the they called pi and it wasn't and dallas and then there was a non-call what was the non there was a non-call right after that and it was sort of so oftentimes my my I'll, I'll give you my my opinion of of rules and how to analyze rules there's there's two ways to do it you can either just say every Every penalty has to be by the letter of the law. There's no context. There's no ability to see, you know, anything other than black and white. It is the letter of the law. It is context. That is what the rule book says. And that's how you're in. I don't tech. I don't personally buy into that. Like, right. In my opinion, there is interpretation. I played the game for 15 years. We're lying to ourselves. If we think every official out there is calling the game by the letter of the law, 100% of the time, as the rule book states, they're not, they're human. There's time in the game. There's situation. There's how many penalties have I called them? That's all being taken into account, whether people want to accept that or not. These are human beings making human being decisions that are very subjective. And, and a lot of the times, so when I'm seeing a call, when I'm seeing <clears throat> a flag, a no flag. If they call pass interference and when you super slow mow it, that guy's got his hand on his Jersey, but he's not really tugging them and all that. Like, I'm going to say, listen, I know he might've grabbed his Jersey. I know, 
But that's not PI because if that's PI, they miss 10. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So like sometimes you end up agreeing with the officials and oftentimes you don't end up agreeing with the officials. But I think to be just overly so let's take the call it wasn't my game but the big roughing the passer call in in that game last week that's gotten all that i was just gonna bring that up yeah i think it was the dolphins right chargers dolphins Dolphins. yeah Yeah, the dolphins sacked um herbert herbert yep okay so i watched that game i didn't hear what the anybody said i was in an airport watching it by the letter of the law like if i was calling that game it's not the referee's fault the referee called it like it's written in the rule book you cannot land with your body weight on top of the quarterback as you take them to the ground. It's a stupid rule. It's right. a ridiculous rule. It was made in a in a conference room by people trying to really be cute and specific. That's impossible for these refs to officiate correctly. So the guy throws the flag. By the letter of the law, that is a penalty. But by all of us having a brain and knowing football and seeing it, you can't call that penalty. Right. But which side do you take? Well, I would play devil's advocate this way. I would say this. If the ref didn't throw the flag there, nobody would say a word. He wouldn't get criticized by one person, except maybe the Chargers head coach. But should the officials officiate the game worried about the reaction on Twitter? No, they shouldn't do it. No, they should not do that. But I think there, like you said it, you said it well, there needs to be some sort of context or common sense or you know letter of the law that you're gonna get he got way more that ref got destroyed for throwing the flag if he didn't throw the flag he wouldn't have got one piece of criticism so that tells me don't throw the flag but you know what tells me is it's a bad rule oh it's a terrible rule terrible throwing the flag in by the letter of the law which is what he did to me I'm not going to shoot the messenger. Right, He's officiating right. the game the way he was told to officiate the game that were rules that were made that he was not privy to the conversations of how they were made. Right. That, the people who decided yeah. to make that roughing the passer spelled out in, in the rule book, it had nothing to do with that. Right. So my thing is, if it does cause this much controversy and every single person watching it with their eyeball says that's not, P- that's not roughing the passer, it's a bad rule. Right, oh, 100%. a hundred percent rule, and the uh, rule yeah. needs to be re reexamined. <clears throat> it's not the time though to annihilate the official. That's why I very, unless it's just reckless and just brutal and negligent, and I'm just not a big like shit on the officials guy because yeah. oftentimes they're asked to officiate by letters of laws and rules that are damn near impossible for them to officiate. Yes, yeah, see, I, I want to see it, you, and I see it. I saw it. I yeah. lived it my whole life. Yeah, I, I want to see you shit on the refs. That's what I'm looking for. I think so. that's easy. I think it's lazy. I think it's easy. I, it's when, you know what I mean. What kills me is it's more about when there's a good game, close game, late, last five minutes, and then a call comes in and the game is altered by the call. That's when I think the refs need to be taken. You know, listen, they call a phantom holding in the first quarter. Okay, I don't expect anyone to go out there and kill the refs, but. It's when it's, I feel like, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they can't handle the pressure when it's late and close and they get nervous and they, you know, they feel, I feel like a lot of them just want to get involved in the game for some reason. And no, I, I, I think that's mm-hmm. true, but I also think like you just said, the, the phantom hold that they called in the first quarter 
if they call that exact same one in a two minute drive at the end of the game, the hold is var- is probably if you if you cut out those plays and just put them in a vacuum and you told you didn't show people the scoreboard, the time, how much and you just showed the plays side by side, people probably wouldn't get up in arms. Yeah. They'd probably see if you said, Hey, both these were called holds, what do you think? Right. And you just showed people with no scoreboard, no thing, people would go, Okay, yeah, he grabbed his jersey and pulled him. If you said, Hey, but this one called back the game winning touchdown, this one made it second and twelve in the first quarter. Which one's worse? Oh my God, it called back a touchdown. That's ridiculous. So like we have the benefit of knowing the context of the outcome after the fact of knowing how important every single call was to the game. And I, and I get it. No one wants the games to come down to refs. But we have to give the refs opportunities to call plays and use rationale and use yeah. their brains and common sense. And I think we've made it so black and white that it's almost damn near inf- impossible to officiate a game nowadays, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess too many, I think too many games do come down to the refs with what they're doing late, but... I appreciate you taking the criticism and discussing it. That's yeah. Very, very big of you. But that's literally the only negative thing I've written. So I think we can move past it. I wish I would have known. I wouldn't have come <laughs> on the podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I appreciate um, you. Um, I want to end with this. I've got to ask you, I just, you know, and I'm sure everyone wants to know how your son TJ is doing. You know, he had a heart transplant last year. There was a video that I'm sure many people listening to this saw of TJ telling his siblings that he was getting that heart transplant, which just, I mean, if you saw that, it was just unbelievable. So give us an update. How's he doing? He's doing great. Yeah, last June. um, So we just celebrated this summer was his one-year anniversary of his heart transplant. And uh, he's doing awesome. He's in school. He's in fourth grade now. He has a a twin sister who's also in fourth grade and then an older brother who's in fifth. So he's doing great. He's in school. um, Just started playing for his school basketball team. First time he's ever played basketball. Um, basketball was always a little hard for him. Uh, he played baseball pretty much his whole life. That was a little more suited for his condition. And then uh, since the transplant, he's really just improved his physical capabilities, his cardiovascular function, wow. just as you'd imagine, having an entire heart could te- <laughs> could help you a little bit. So um, for the first time in his life, he feels, you know, quote unquote, normal. And uh, so he's playing on his little basketball team, he goes to school, plays on a baseball team. He's active. Um yeah, he's doing awesome. If if you saw him, talked to him, saw him run in the room right now, you would have no idea that he's been That's... through what he's been through for 10 years of his life. So he's uh he's a great kid. I appreciate you asking, but yeah, he's doing great and year 1 is always the hardest and we hope he's got a lot of years left on this heart yeah. um before we have to you know see what the next step is. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, that was uh like I said anyone who saw that video, uh, he's just you want to know more about his story there and how he's doing. So I, I appreciate the update on that. Does he, uh, does he watch, do all the kids, do they watch you when you're doing a game? Do you get any feedback from the kids? Sometimes, you know, it, it, as long as it fits into their Sunday calendar, right? Their, their social schedule is very busy. They got yeah, practices yeah. and workouts and yeah. you know, I want to go to a friend's house, you know how that goes. So yeah. I think they watch a good amount of them. You know, sometimes they don't get them here. You know, if it's the Panthers are playing at the same time and right you know, whatever. But uh, all in all, I think they watch a good amount. I think they enjoy it. I've, I've taken each one of the kids on their own little weekend where they get to come sit with me in the booth and kind of see what I do while I'm gone and whatnot. So that's always fun to watch them pick out which stadiums they want to go to based on what players they think they can meet. Um, but yeah, I, I, they watch it. I don't know how much they really care. I think they watched it more when I was playing. Right. But um, but yeah, they, they enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh 
good luck the rest of the way with a lot of Cowboys. And then you got your first playoffs and then the Super Bowl, which should be yep. thrilling. And uh, like I said, I enjoyed this and thank you for coming on. You got it. Thank you. All right. Be well. Take care, Greg. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, joining me now as he does every week for the Train of Thought segment right here on the SI Media Podcast from WFAN Radio in New York, SNY TV. My buddy Salicata, Sal, how's it going? Great. Is it me, or is this segment becoming more and more popular by the week? Uh, you you bringing some star power? Deitch was <laughs> praising it last week. It was crazy. I don't get it. I mean, I I was thinking about this today. I love doing this because life is so busy. Like you and I don't get a chance to catch up as much anymore or so we text we just don't see we text yeah. a lot we just don't see each other in person as much right but we so like it's it's going into week 15 we haven't watched the football sunday we haven't been to steakhouse in forever you know remember things have changed too you're not well, working yeah. in the city anymore right. you know there's a lot of different things that we used to hang out a lot more but this now <clears> gives us at least an excuse every week to hang out so that's why it's fun I, for me i went into the city saturday took my nieces in they wanted to go in god bless you 
I pulled a great power move, though. I got them out of going to the tree. We avoided that freaking tree. But my God. I mean, I, I, I'm staggering from the prices of everything on Long Island. And you go into the city. I Forget. spent 1950 for three hot chocolates to start the day. Union Square holiday festival market thing. Yeah. And one of the, now me and my younger niece, we got regular hot chocolate. My older niece, she wanted the one, it was s'mores. Mm. So they're throwing marshmallows in and graham crackers and they got a, a torch and they're firing up the marshmallow and all, you know, and then I, I got to pay hot chocolate. Come on. And then we went to black tap burgers, burger, black tap. It's a burger place. It's like, there's a few of them in the city. It's supposed to be a big deal. Um, it was awful. And uh, oh, I was gonna say, don't mention it, don't say it. Oh. And I had to, had, to, had to pay, and then I paid thirty eight dollars for two milkshakes. Uh, by the way, did you get your? You do real tree, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So, what did it run you this year? I just got mine last weekend. I'm what gonna go this weekend. Come? I haven't gone yet. I'm going this weekend. Oh, all right. Yeah. So maybe next week we could discuss that. But. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. be prepared. I didn't go this past weekend because Saturday was in the city all day, and Sunday I was watching football. So I'm going to go this weekend. Right. Um, but you know, it's it, uh, you know, it's nice when college football's over. You get your Saturdays back. So went right. into the city, and I just cannot. <laughs> you get that. your Saturdays back. I still don't have mine because marriage and being a parent that doesn't go away. I'm talking <laughs> about being having to be in front of the TV. I I know what you're saying. I used to. You have don't that even same watch problem. college football. I used to. Why do you think I don't? You don't think I like the right. sport anymore? I used to love well, you it. Gotta, on it from 12 right. noon to 1 a.m. You have to maneuver things. That's what you have to do. It, it used to be we'd be making the call in the morning for the, <clears> before the noon kickoff, and then what, what's the second half USC matchup so I could get right. in my last wager of the Saturday? <laughs> I, 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 I did think of you earlier this week because I was I – was, the NFL Network dropped the broadcast – there's three Saturday games this week. So let's start with that. We'll get Sal around. So there's three Saturday games this week, one, four thirty, and eight, eight fifteen. And um the only notable with the broadcast crews is crews is that the first game is going to be Noah Eagle, Ian Eagle's son, and Nate Burleson. So it's a little bit of a different crew. So I'm excited to wow. hear that crew. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um but that which game is that? Is that the Vikings or the Vikings yes. 4:30? No, 4:30 is Browns Ravens and then the night game okay. is Bills Dolphins. It's Vikings against someone, a bad team I think, a very bad team on right. uh, 1 o'clock. Um so I was looking at this I was looking at the schedule and stuff and I, I will say cuz I think I busted your balls about this when the schedule came out months and months ago. To have a full NFL slate of games on Christmas Eve is is going to be a problem. Thank you. Thank you. I was ahead of the curve on this one. I hate that Roger Goodell is doing this to us. I get why. Well, they Come have on. no choice. They have no choice because they're not going to play the full. Now, I will say this. I would much prefer the full slate of 16, 14 games on Sunday, Christmas Day than Saturday, Christmas Eve. Because Agreed. Christmas and that, Eve is a bigger maybe that, deal. Because you, be, yeah. Christmas Eve for us is the bigger deal. But but come on. I'm telling you, the game that I want to watch more than any probably that weekend is going to be the Cowboys and Eagles. It's at 425 Christmas Eve. That, it's a non-starter. I cannot yeah. do it. I can't do it. 
So the one o'clock game this Saturday that Noah Eagle and Nate Burleson are call is Colts at Vikings. Now, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. I heard our good friend Chris Russo talking about the Christmas Eve stuff. And he was saying he's got a problem because he has to go to church. And he was talking about the Eagles Cowboys game. And the way he phrased it, he just goes, I want to watch Eagles Cowboys. I got to go to church. The bottom line is this I'm dead. I'm dead on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I will say, I mean, exactly. listen, the one o'clock games you can get. So, Commanders Niners is not terrible. Oh, so oh, so it's only two games on Christmas Eve at, in the late window. Commanders Niners and Eagles Cowboys. That's it for the okay. late window. And nothing yeah. that night, right? Uh yes, Raiders Steelers. You don't have to. Yeah, you can blow nothing, that off. Yeah, nothing that night. Exactly. I'll say this: I the fact that at four twenty-five, there's only one game you you got to lock in. That makes it a little like that'll be on the TV at my parents' house. It's just a matter of how close I can pay attention to it. Not the way that we would normally want to. And for me, I'll take it a step further. Like I sat around all Thanksgiving with football on all day. There is no chance. I wouldn't even want to do that to my family. They're going to be like, dude, like take a break. I want to watch the game, but I prefer on the one day a year that I love more than any Christmas Eve. I prefer to have, I don't know, Home Alone on in the background or Miracle on 34th Street or Christmas music. I can't be worried about Dak Prescott and the freaking Eagles on Christmas Eve. Well, that'll be over at least by 730. Yeah, but for me, we got young kids and my sisters and my niece and nephew, whatever. My right, kids, right. Like 738, you're wrapping up that night. Oh, is that way? Okay. See, that's prime. Like, I mean, like- maybe that's a little early, but... Yeah. Like with the baby, she, our bedtime is eight nine o'clock. So even if we extend it to ten or eleven, it's still you know. Here, you always got to find the positives. The positives here is you don't you know the night game is Raiders Steelers, so you're not going to be missing anything. Right, that's true. <laughs> Have you? Uh, no, nah, I'm not watching that game, and I probably won't watch the one o'clock games either. And I definitely won't be betting on it. Well, I shouldn't say definitely. Never will anything out, but I right. I don't think I will. That was a quick retraction. Where? Uh, <laughs> Where do you stand on your Christmas shopping? <clears throat> it, it is, it's it just so different. I don't have, uh, here's where I, where I stand. I don't have the time to give it enough thought. There are things that, you know, you got to take care of. Okay, let's pay out this guy and, and this guy and whatever. Like you got to go over the garbage man and, and the, the people. I like, this, is, this is good. This is good. What do you give the garbage men and what do you give the mail carrier? I honestly forgot what it was last year. So I have no idea. I mean, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Yeah, I think I get 50. And I think I may have mentioned that on Twitter and everyone called me like a cheap bastard. So it's it's a little, I don't know. I Here's the thing. I feel like the garbage men, is that, I don't even know if that's played correct. Garbage people. I don't know. I've never seen right. a woman doing it, but I don't want to. The employees who pick up the trash. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. They're dealing with some nasty 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 stuff and i'm very good i put my bags in the pail like i have people i see on my block they throw the bags on the street you're supposed to put in the pail don't be an animal okay but they come twice a week the mail the mail carrier six days a week without fail so i try to determine the gift on the difficulty of the job and i don't know which job is more difficult Great Who question. deserves the bigger tip, the male people or the garbage people? 
Who deserves and, and the with, bigger tip? And with the 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 garbage people, you got multiple people. You got the driver. You got the two. That's another issue because the they're splitting it. They're not getting the full cut, but they have help. The mail person doesn't have help. Right. And then also, I had last year curveball thrown. I was ready to give the mail person the, you know, the Christmas gift, and it was somebody that I didn't recognize. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this a substitute route? Is this a new like what's happening here? And will the person who was doing this way think that I'm not taking care of? Like the the whole thing is a mess. I wish the anxiety it was a- I get from no. having to do those. Th- like I don't get anxiety. Listen, we've eaten in restaurants you and I together a million times. I get no anxiety in the restaurant with the tip. I see what the amount is. I know twenty five percent. Boom. I always leave. You know, get a haircut. I know what the tip. But those things like that, those those nebulous things, I never know what to do. Like I said, I never know what to tip delivery people. Like someone delivers a pizza, someone delivers Chinese food. Someone like is they're bringing one thing, they're bringing ten things. I never, I never, I never yeah, know. And what they're to not do. they're not serving you, but they are driving it to you if it's in different weather. Uh, the whole thing. My biggest issue with the with, with the garbage people is how to get it to them. Last year, I legitimately remember hearing the truck coming down the block and waking up and running out in my pajamas to. Give it to them because they say you can't leave it on the lid of the can. Right. But what am I going to do? Wait around all day for when they come? I mean, I got yeah. stuff to do here. I got to go to work. I can't just wait around till the garbage men come to pick up the garbage to go give them their tip. I mean, it's long. I get them. Yeah, I, I do that. I stalk out. I look out the window, wait for them to cut. You know, it's the benefit of where I'm working from home, so I can look out the window with at my laptop there, and you know, I'm able right. to man over. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think uh. if we should talk about sports stuff. Keep going with this because. I have a, here's a, I, I'll bring this up. When, if you get takeout, let's say from a diner, do you ever get takeout from a diner or like Outback? Very rarely, but I do Uber Eats like every weekend. So I don't know about diners specifically or Outback. But you don't pick up, you get it delivered. Uh, yes, majority of the time. My question is if you pick, let's say you ordered food at a diner for takeout and you went and picked it up yourself, <laughs> not all of us can live the la- oh, life of yeah. luxury and get delivery for $20 of delivery from Uber Eats. Right. Do you tip the people who like hand you the food in the diner when you do takeout? No, absolutely not. I had that happen well, from work, right? I ordered something in from work. I went to pick it up at the diner and then they give you these screens now where it makes you, it puts you on the spot and you feel like a jerk because, oh, enter tip amount and everybody's going to see me say no tip <laughs> but in reality what did they do they're not doing anything i don't care if i'm the bad guy it happens at stadiums now too you go to get a popcorn and a soda at the stadium enter the tip custom amount 20 percent. i'm tipping 20 percent i'll give you my popcorn come on that's different so let me say so you know my buddy my good buddy diesel mm-hmm. i've had this ongoing battle with diesel and his wife alicia the two of my best friends love him to death but we've had this battle because if let's say I call up the diner and I say, give me a, you know, a soup, a turkey club and a burger deluxe. Right. Not all for me, even in my, even <laughs> in my fatter days, but I go there, they hand me the bag. I always would give them two, $3 singles, right. you know, because the person is putting it all together for me. So I feel like they're providing a service. I was told that's ridiculous. Now you're telling me that's ridiculous. I think you guys are just, missing the i think here's the thing the popcorn no you don't tip you go order a bagel cream cheese you don't tip because you know bagel stores have all that now but if i call but if someone's order, putting but if someone's putting together an order for you they throw in the utensils but the ketchup. that's their job 
Well, here's the thing. If you went in and ate that way, well, here there's, so this is, this is the layer to it. The diner by my house where I do the takeout from one of the waiters or waitresses puts that all together, takes the order on the phone and puts the order together. So I feel like that's part of, so they deserve, you know, it's different if it's like, uh, all right, have you, do you ever do like, um, the curbside pickup at Outback? Like, do you put, do you tip the person that brings you the bag of food there with the curbside? Good, good question. I think I've done that like once in my life at Applebee's. Uh, I don't recall if I tipped or not on that. I mean, if somebody's walking out to the car with food, probably worthy of a tip. Now, how much? I mean, that's a different story. Right. If you're getting served food, I'll be, I mean, do you tip at a buffet? What, because they brought out the utensils? If you go to a, you know, whatever buffet it is, are you tipping that as well when I'm serving myself? That actually used to be a big thing when I used to go to AC all the time in my earlier days where you go to the buffet and someone would come bring you the dish, the utensils, and then clean up. And then you're supposed to tip them even though you get the food. It's all a mess. We're going to get so much shit for this because there'll be people who say we're cheap or not cheap. You know, like people get well, very well, passionate about tipping. I, I am not cheap when it comes to that. I like <sighs> taking care of people that work for the tip. I also don't believe in any situation that I should feel obligated to tip. You should be tipping because you want to because a good service was provided. The garbage guys or, or whoever, the people who pick up the garbage, <laughs> they provide a service all year long. They right. have earned that tip. So whatever it is that you give them, they same thing with the with the, the, the male people. They, do, they have earned that tip based on a year's worth of work for, for service to us as a family, as a house, whatever <laughs> right. it may be. The other stuff, it's like, I, you, I called in an order. I'm paying for the order. You're giving it to me. Where's the service here? I don't need to tip on that necessarily. Uh, uh, My thoughts. <laughs> the worst thing about everything you said is that you got food from Applebee's. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, that was a long time ago. You're talking about Outback. Al- Applebee's Outback got- is, uh, listen, Outback is Tom Brady. Applebee's is, is really is, is, is Derek Carr. I mean, you know. I've I've never had Outback. Maybe one, oh, like love, once years. I'm ago. a huge the, Outback fan. Huge. I love the boneless wings at Applebee's. That I could have. I, their boneless wings are great. I couldn't <laughs> think of a bad quarterback. How'd I come up with Derek Carr? Who would have? I'm no, trying to not. think. Who? Who's? I, th- yeah, that wasn't the right person. I da- was Daniel Jones. <laughs> no, who's like Outback is Tom Brady. Applebee's is Baker Mayfield. No, no, the other guy. What's his name? John Wolford. Oh, that would be oh a better God. analogy. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Did you happen to see? And I didn't watch it. I saw the clips. Bell, uh, Bill Simmons. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was Bill Simmons on the Manning cast. I saw the clip. Yeah. And Peyton sharing two unbelievable Bill Belichick stories. The first. The Belichick selected Peter Bulware to a Pro Bowl because then Art Modell would have had to pay Bulware a million dollar bonus, and Modell had fired Belichick when he was coach of the Browns. And the other story was that the Chargers' long snapper at the time, David Bin, was dating Pamela Anderson. So Belichick selected him to the Pro Bowl, and then he didn't show up with Pamela Anderson. And Belichick said, where's Pamela Anderson? The guy said, oh, she stayed home. And Belichick said, why the fuck did I select you? <laughs> Those are unbelievable Belichick stories. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. That was Look, a great I job. Belichick. I always believe that there's much more of a personality behind there that we haven't yeah. seen, but I, I love it. That was a great job by Peyton telling those stories. I haven't great watched job. the Manning cast this year, but I did see those clips. Yeah, same here. And then the last thing for all the people who hate the wrestling talk, Vice, which usually does a tremendous job with two of their wrestling shows. They do the Dark Side of the Ring, and then they do Tales of the Territory. They're both tremendous. They did a two-hour special that they were promoting like crazy on Tuesday night about Vince McMahon, and it was awful. Don't watch it. Really? Yeah, I was very disappointed. Tales, I don't like being Tales of the they, Territory. No, it was like a dark side of the ring, which is so oh. good. They do so, but all they did was rehash old clips of old shows, and I wasted two hours. And I had to mention that because I don't like wasting two hours. It was annoying. Yeah, it was two hours. I could have been, season. I could have been scrolling through TikTok. <laughs> oh God, talk about a waste. I get good content on TikTok. Yeah, it's, you and my you know, wife have that in common. I can't get into the TikTok stuff. Ever. All the if you're in the content game, you would be on because all the teams post. You know, there's good clips on there and stuff like that. Don't care. I don't care. I'm pretty soon, I hope they start charging for it. Subscription, they should. Why not? Well, if they provide more content than Disney Plus, why can't they get eight ninety nine or whatever it is a month? All right. So let's end with this. Now it's official. Everyone's gonna lose their blue check mark in a few months. They oh, said, like me, you and I. Yeah, yeah, everyone. Oh, okay. Unless you cough up the $8 a month, will Salicata, WFAN Radio New York, SNY TV in New York, and probably the person I know who hates Twitter the most, cough up $8 a month for the blue check? Do you remember when Hulk Hogan was asked if he would take the money from Ted DiBiase for the championship belt? I don't. I mean, no, I remember that great. No, there's no way I would ever pay. I don't care if it is a quarter. I am not paying anything to have the blue check more. I want you to take it away. Take it away, please. Make me irrelevant on Twitter. I, I'll pay a quarter for a blue check mark. I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit that. I well, think you're paying it. Why are you anti? Why do you want the blue check mark taken away? I, I mean, I don't. I just don't care about it. Okay. All right. I don't. I mean, it was. Look, it's. I'm not gonna lie. It was nice to have, especially if you're trying to, you know, book guests, whatever it may be, or or have more of a a presence for what we do. I think it helped. Helped the keyword there. I don't care anymore. And I feel like if they take the blue check mark away, it makes Twitter, in my mind, even less important then people think that it already is. So I, I look forward to the day. <laughs> I'm laughing because here's the thing. I believe every word you say. I don't think you're lying. I don't think you're performing. I think everything you just said is accurate. But I know I'm going to get a text like, look at this shit. They took my blue check mark away today. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to happen. It's <laughs> <sighs> too funny. All right. Well, Sal, we'll, uh, I don't know what we're going to do with the Christmas schedule here with the pod, but. I'm sure we'll have you on next week and we'll we'll discuss a little. Yeah, maybe Christmas. not the last week of the year, but next week. I mean, I'll probably be around yeah. Tuesday. I yeah, yeah. Tuesday All or right. Wednesday. Have a good All week right. as we march towards the holiday and uh, stay safe. All, All right. right. Talk to you later. All right. My thanks to John Wertheim, Greg Olson, Sal Licata. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're not a subscriber, hit the subscribe button. Subscribe to the SI Media Podcast. Helps tremendously. Also, leave a review on Apple. We'll read it on an upcoming SI Media podcast. So hit the five stars, write a review on Apple, and uh, 
I'll be sure to address it on the pod. If you missed any recent episodes, go into the archives. Check them out. Richard Deitch from The Athletic was on last week. Mike Tirico, Kevin Burkhart, Joe Buck, Jim Nance, all recent guests on the SI Media Podcast. So go to the homepage, check them out, and uh, subscribe to the pod. All right, we'll see you next week. Christmas show. And uh, we'll wrap up the new year after that. All right, stay safe. Take care. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.